0: Thank you for listening to the Reformation Bible Church Podcast. We hope you are edified and encouraged by our ministry as you listen to our Gospel and Evangelism sermon series. For more sermons and resources, please visit the RBC website at www.rbcbakershield.org. Thank you once again, and may the Lord bless you. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy. We thank you for the, the great honor and privilege that you've given us to come and to worship tonight. We pray that you are glorified in all that you do in our hearts and in our minds through your word. We pray that you would make us who we are not and that you would strengthen us, God, in who you have made us to be. Lord, I deny myself. I become less so that you can become more. I pray that you would move me out of the way and that you would be glorified in all that we do again. Thank you, Father, for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we worked really hard on trying to get an outline. We have an outline. It'll be online, I guess, tonight. But we're not going to be able to have it up here, which means I'm going to have to take my time. And usually when I say I'm going to take my time, I I end up going 100 miles faster. So I'll try my best to to slow down. But we are going through our our series of the gospel and evangelism. And I, I really do pray that as we have been going through this series that you have been encouraged and and challenged over the past four weeks to really know what you believe and why you believe it. I pray that you become more equipped with the gospel. And I pray that you become more confident in your ability to share the gospel. So far, we we have gained this, this working understanding of the gospel. And it goes something like this. And I've added last week's sermon to this working presentation of the gospel. So God is holy. He is the creator of the universe, and he is the judge of man. Man was created in God's image, made perfect. God gave a command to expand his glory, to worship him, to obey him. Man rebelled against that command and disobeyed God. That brought death to all of humanity. We have become depraved in our minds, our wills, and our desires. Because of sin, we have become separated from holy God. And his wrath is now upon unrighteousness because of sin. But thanks be to God. He sent his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus was fully man who faced every temptation of man, but perfectly obeyed the law of God. And Jesus was fully God and displayed this in truth, this truth in words, miracles, forgiveness, and ultimately by raising from the dead. Jesus died in the place of those who deserved punishment and became a substitute for them taking on the punishment that they deserved. Jesus rose from the dead, conquering finally sin, death and the grave. Now here's last week added to this, if you desire to be saved, then you must repent of your sins. You must see that you are a sinner and you must turn from your sins and turn to Christ alone for your salvation. If you desire to be saved, you must place your faith or trace faith your your faith or trust in the perfect life and sacrificial death of Jesus Christ for you. You must trust that his works are sufficient for you and that his death is sufficient for you. If you repent and place your faith in Christ, you will be saved. This is what we've learned so far. That is the gospel and that is a call to repentance and a call to faith to those who have ears to hear. Amen. You can take them if you want to the class for the little ones. This is what we learned so far. This is the gospel. We've been going through this. And tonight, there there is something that, that I realize that I rarely do. We're going to be talking about this tonight. But when I ask people to, when I give the gospel to people, one thing that I think that I have left out is what we're going to talk about tonight. And I want to ask you, just as we begin, since we know that we're talking about the cost of discipleship. Can you remember when Christ first drew you to himself? Think about that moment when when Christ first drew you to himself. You're thinking about it right now? If you can, try to remember the message that was presented to you when you were first drawn to Christ. Now, if you can remember that, if you can recall, maybe it's far back or maybe it's short. Can you remember if there was any mention in that presentation of the cost of following Christ when the gospel was presented to you? Was it anywhere in that presentation? Think about it. I'm talking about the very first day, not not much later, weeks later, months later, where the cost of discipleship was eventually brought up, but I'm talking about in those early first, maybe first presentation of here is Christ, the gospel, repent, have faith, and this is what it's going to cost you. Was cost even involved in that discussion? Think about it. Did someone say, this is the gospel, and this is going to be the cost of following Christ? And if not, then why not? I even was was trying to recall about myself all the times that I've shared the gospel with people, and I was trying to give myself the the benefit of the doubt. Maybe I mentioned it maybe once, just again, giving myself the the benefit of of the doubt. Maybe I mentioned one time. The cost of following Christ. Now I'd like you to think about this. What if the cost was mentioned to you? What if all that you have been through since you have been a believer was told that you would go through, or told to you that you would go through? All of the hurt, all of the pain, the betrayal, the uncertainty, and so on. What if all of that was told to you As the gospel was being presented, as faith and repentance were being presented, and the cost was being presented to you as well. And all that you've been through since you have been a believer was told to you that this is what you're going to go through. Would you still come? Would you have been just as encouraged or inspired to come as you were the first moment someone shared with you the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because how many of you, when you first came to Christ, were actually really excited? All you could have on your face was a smile. There was no thought of bad times. There was only thought of good times and everything's supposed to be great. But what if that person gave you the whole story? Would there be as many people abandoning the faith? What is the cost of following Christ? J.C. Ryle says nothing causes so much backsliding amongst disciples as not letting them know what they are taking in hand or not letting them know what they're about to get themselves into. A.W. Tozer says, there is only one of two things we can do with the cross. Think about this. So listen to this. Flee from it or die upon it. Only two options. Run from the cross or die on the cross. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in this book says when Christ calls a man he bids him come and die and it was our Lord Jesus Christ who said if anyone would come after me Matthew 16:24 let him deny himself take up his cross and follow me for whoever would save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it what are we really talking about tonight We are not we are really talking about presenting the gospel or presenting Christ as not just savior of his sheep, but we are talking about presenting Christ as the Lord of his sheep. We are inviting people not just to come to faith, but to come and be disciples of Christ. We are preaching grace that requires obedience. I believe that if we leave this message out of the gospel, then we are inviting people to Christianity without issuing them a cross that comes with that Christianity. And it's issued to all those, listen, who are drafted into the kingdom of God. No one enlists into the kingdom of God. We are only drafted into the kingdom of God, kingdom of God. We, we don't know anything about this in this generation, but our brother Eddie knows about being drafted in his generation. You didn't have a choice of signing up. They signed you up. My father was drafted into the Vietnam War and he could have tried to And he did. He tried to hide under his mom's bed. He tried to pretend like he was not a citizen. But they know who you are. They know who you belong to and they'll get you. So what is the cost of following Christ? I'd like us to read, again, this passage in Luke, and it's going to inform us on the cost of following Christ. Luke chapter 14, verse 26. Did you hear that? That's going to be... If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, his own father, and mother, and wife, and children, and brothers, and sisters... Yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. In this passage, Christ gives us insight as to what the cost is of following him. We're going to look at the main cost and subpoints within that cost. Here's the main cost. Home. The main cost of following Christ is going to be your home. When you share the gospel, if God gives you the grace and wills that you get to this point, emphasize that when a person accepts Christ, they are accepting the fact that they must now abandon their home. They may be confused about this point. But what Christ is pointing to here is the same thing that he's pointing out to the two disciples who came to him, or two would-be disciples who came to him and said, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to them in Matthew chapter 8, 8, a scribe came to him and said, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the son of man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple came to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and lead the dead to bury their own dead. What was Jesus saying to these would be disciples that if you want to follow me, you must lose your home. If you want to follow me, you must lose your family. So within those sub points, I'm going to ask you, what's in your home? Well, let's start with the obvious family. Family is in your home. And what comes along with your family? Acceptance. Family is in your home, and what comes with your family is acceptance. But when you come to Christ, there is only one supreme relationship. And that relationship trumps over all other relationships. And that relationship is love and devotion to Christ and to Christ alone. In Luke 14, Jesus calls his followers to hate those who are genetically the closest to them. Jesus calls his disciples to hate mother, father, sister, and brother if they are going to truly be his disciples. Now, he's not calling for a scorning of bloodlines, but rather he's calling us, his disciples, to greater devotion to Christ than to earthly bloodlines. So much love. That when that love for Christ is compared to the love of your family, it looks like hate because your love for Christ is so great. When a person is brought to Christ, they are often brought into tension and conflict, and it often begins right in the middle of your home. All because of Christ. Why? Because light exposes darkness unrighteousness hates righteousness. And this is the reality that Jesus is warning his disciples of. He said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, don't think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace to the earth, but a sword. Have you heard that verse? For I have come to set up a man against his father and a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves, so, whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. This is the cost of following Christ. It will cost you every relationship that you hold dear. And would you, if your mother was against you following Christ, turn against your mother and follow Christ. If your father was against you following Christ, would you turn against your father and follow Christ? If it was your brother or your sister or your friend, your best friend, would you choose Christ over that deep relationship? And that is what Christ is calling you to. He's calling you to choose him over any and every relationship this world could ever offer you. Amen. You must choose Christ. This is especially true for the first century believers. We today don't really experience it, but during that time, first century believers were dying because of their faith. First century believers were being separated from their families because of their faith. They were being burned at the stake. They were being thrown into jails. They were being fed to lions because of Christ. Now, you may not experience that so far. But what if? following Christ, cause conflict in your family? Would you say, okay, I'll go to church less. I'll spend less time on Sundays at church and more time on Sundays having Minuta with you. What would you choose? What would you choose? Let me just say real quick, and we'll get to this in a moment. You have at least two hours of worship on Sunday. And it's amazing to me how many people forfeit that two hours of Sunday And say, I'm busy with something else. When it's two hours on a Sunday. There's a million and one excuses. Things that don't take two hours. Things that can be done after that two hours. Or before that two hours. That we use as an excuse to avoid that two hours. All to please people in relationships, while at the same time, avoiding the one who you say is the savior of your soul. What else is in the house and what else is he talking about? He's not just talking about your house. He's talking about this house, not this building, this world. And the relationships that you will find in this world. And the relationship that you have with this world. It may not be with a specific person. It could just be with the philosophy and the ideology of this world. Meaning that this, when you are joined to Christ, your citizenship, citizenship in this world has ended and your citizenship, citizenship in heaven has now begun. You have now changed relationships. You are no longer of this world. You are in this world, but you are no longer of this world. That relationship has changed. You are are no longer seeking acceptance from the world. You are no longer seeking love from the world. You are no longer seeking to be a part of the world. That desire has ended. That pursuit has ended. You cannot be a disciple of Christ and a a disciple of this world or passionate with this world or of this world at the same time. You can't be passionate for Christ and passionate for the world at the same time. It doesn't work that way. And if you do, then you have not sincerely come to Christ. Jesus said in John fifteen nineteen, if you're of this world, the world would love you as its own. And that's the problem. The problem is the world loves you, some of us, and you love it back. The things that the world offers, the relationship that we had with the world is sometimes so hard to sever because we are so much in love still with it. And Christ is saying, if you truly belong to me and if you're truly my disciple, then there must be an ending to that relationship. It would be like marrying your husband and then still dating boyfriends that you used to have in the past. Only a whore would do that. Amen. But if a true believer is sincere in their faith, then they abandon those relationships. They are only bound to this one specific relationship. And all other relationships cease. My wife, I tell her, there is no other relationship before you. You are the only one. There is no relationship after you. You are the only one. There are no girls that existed before you. They all have disappeared. You are the only one. And that's the way you should be viewing your relationship with Christ and in relationship to the world. The world no longer exists to you. You are dead to it and it is dead to you. You don't have the world's phone number in your phone anymore. You don't remember those numbers anymore. They're gone. Amen. 1 John 2.15, do not love the world or anything in this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Do you see the contradiction there? John says you can't have love for one and love for the other. If you have love for one, the love of God is not in you. Speaking of the world. Again, when we speak of the world, what are we speaking about? We're speaking about the system, the philosophy, the thinking of this world that does what suppresses the truth of God. Paul described it in Romans 118. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who, by their unrighteousness, suppress the truth. For what can be known about them or can what what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. So here's what we no longer love. We no longer love the system of this world that resists the truth of God, that has clearly been revealed to them. We no longer entertain and accept agnosticism, because God has clearly revealed himself to that skeptic. We no longer entertain or see the point of an atheist, because God has clearly revealed himself to the one who denies what is clear. We refuse a coexist philosophy. You've seen that bumper sticker. All the different religions, let's coexist. No, we refuse that because there is only one way to Christ. We refuse that ideology. And especially with you young people. Let me look at your faces real quick. As you go to school, how many of the people in your school right right here, right now, today, are saying to you things like homosexuality is okay. Like other religions are, are okay. Like no religion is okay. And they're trying to feed to you. A no God mentality, a no God philosophy, a no truth philosophy. And brothers and sisters, young people, old people, we don't buy that. We don't love that philosophy. We hate that philosophy because that philosophy is a lie. And it's a lie from hell. We refuse to acknowledge that coexists. We refuse to, to uh, accept a universalist approach where everyone's going to heaven and there is no hell. We say rubbish on the idea that there are many ways to God. No, there is only one way to God. Paul said, verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds and animals and creeping things. We no longer worship trees anymore. We no longer worship animals and sun and moon as if they were co-gods along with God. No. No. We don't bow before them. We don't bow before trees. We don't wish that we would save the forest. No. Those things are for the glory of God. And we will be, they will be used for the purpose of man. Amen. Amen. We don't worship the earth. The earth is not mother earth. The, the earth is the earth. And all that dwells in it is the Lord's. Amen. So we bow before the Lord. There is only one God. No God before him. No God after him. This is what we believe. This is what we love now. Amen. Verse 28, Since they did not see fit, this is uh, Romans chapter 1, to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, insol- inventors of evil, disobedient to parent, parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, fruitless. Though they know God's righteous decree... That those who practice such things deserve to die. They do not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. No, we don't belong to that world anymore. We don't belong to that philosophy anymore. We are not gossips anymore. We are not slanderers anymore. Haters of God. We are not haughty, boastful. No, we resist and we oppose those kinds of ideologies. And we don't have relationships with those kinds of uh, ideologies as well. We oppose those things along with sexual immorality that is found in verse 26 and verse 27. We no longer love those shameful acts of the world. We don't entertain them by watching them on television or on our phones. We don't go and and find sinful things and then say, world, I still love you. We say to the world, world, I don't know you anymore. I'm dead to you. We hate those practices because they oppose the truth of God. And if we love them. And if we practice those things, those shameful acts, then we are friends with the world. Therefore, we are enemies with God. That's what it'll cost you. It will not only cost you family, friends. It's going to cost you popularity. It's going to cost you acceptance. When your friends are going out and doing things that that they think is fun and you're going to church, they're going to question, well, then what's the purpose of you living What's the purpose of your life so that you could just go to church and hear someone yell at you? No, you're being informed with truth and you're taking truth into the world. And through that truth, God is making blind eyes see. Amen. What else is in your house? Number two point, sub point, pleasures and valuables. What are the things that we store in our homes? They're the things that We value. They are the things that bring us pleasure. Listen to this. I was sitting down and thinking they are the the clothes and shoes that are so precious that they get their own rooms called closets. They are the diamonds and gold that are so loved that they get a cast iron box called a safe. They are the automobiles that are so prized that they, too, get their own rooms called garages. Whether it be a video game. Whether it be shoes, silverware, pictures, home, or any other pleasure that you deem as valuable, Christ is calling you to forsake them because he is much more valuable and much more pleasurable. Christ's call to follow him is for you to be willing to give up all those things and see him not only as your greatest treasure, but listen, as your only treasure. Christ calls you to look at all of the things that you possess and to say that they are nothing compared to Christ and that I would be willing in a moment to give them all up. He said in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters for he will either hate one or love the other or he will be be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This passage is in reference to money. Just as a side note, how often did Christ refer to money or speak of money more than any other subject, more than love, more than heaven, more than hell, more than more than the kingdom of God. Christ spoke about money more than any of those other topics. Eleven of the thirty nine parables are about money. Why? It's the subject that we least appreciate. And even as I'm speaking about money, heads are starting to fall, hearts are starting to beat. Hands are getting palmy or sweaty, clammy, because it is the the one subject that goes after the one thing that we are holding on the tightest to our money. And it is the one thing that we often devalue. It's the one thing we value that Christ is calling us to devalue in light of who he is. And in light of what you found in him, what is more valuable, Christ or money? We say and believe Christ. We say and believe Christ. But we live and act money. How do I say that? Why would I say that? We will not call into work. But we'll choose to stay home from worship. We will work hard in our jobs, but we will let pastors do all the work for us when it comes to study. That's why some of you don't even take notes. Because you think me getting this to you now is enough. We will be on time for work, but we'll be 20 minutes late for worship. We hang out with people from work, but we can't stand people at church. No, there seems to be a greater value for the world than there is for Christ and his bride. What about pleasures? That is anything that gives you earthly pleasure. And think about these things, food, sex, buying things, things, hanging out with family or friends, playing sports. Recreation in creation, art, music, sleep, one of my favorites. This is not an exhaustive list, but the point is, none of those things are sinful. But if they take precedence over Christ, or even if they are set apart, as more valuable, more pleasurable than worship. Then they are sinful. Meaning this. That none of those things are sinful. But if they are taken to the extreme, they become sinful. Enjoy food. But don't become a glutton. Amen? God gave sex to enjoy. In the context of marriage. Amen? You can buy things. But do you have to buy everything? Right? You can hang out with your family and you can hang out with your friends. But is that family time with family and friends more important than that two hours of worship on a Sunday? No, it's not. You can play sports, but don't let sports take over your life. To where sports trumps anything that you can do for the glory of God. Can't go to the marketplace, got to go play a game. Can't go to church, got to go bowling. Can't go to church, got to go to a basketball game. Can't go to church, got to a soccer game. Can't go to church, got to do whatever. You know, there's a million things that you can say, I can't because I have to do something else. But when is the moment going to come when you say, I won't go to sports because I've got to go to church? What's so important for you to hear right now. As young believers, and many of you are, what's more important? I heard Sam Renahan, one of my favorite young ministers right now, say there is no good reason why you should miss worship on the Lord's Day. Unless you are terminally ill or sick, there's no good enough reason for you to miss or avoid worship with the saints together, worshiping God on the Lord's Day. There's a, listen to me, there's a million and one excuses and none of them are good enough. None of them are good enough. Even if you say, hey, I'm going to get, just jump on a tangent and I don't really care. Hey, my kids, my kid has homework. Do you think that your kid didn't know that they had homework? And so you're going to let them stay home on the hour and a half that they could be at church on a Wednesday so they can catch up with homework? No, you're going to go to church. And you're not going to bring your homework with you. You're going to leave your homework at home. And then when you get home, you're going to stay up and you're going to do your homework. Even if it takes you till midnight, then you're going to wake up and you're going to go to school. But you're not going to put school above church. Because what we do is we start teaching them that the rest of their life, it's okay to miss things of the world. Because the world is more important than church. And then they're going to start to think, I get to stay home. And what do you think they're doing when you go to church? Think they're really burning the midnight oil on homework? Trust me, I used to give the homework excuse more than once. And once they leave, I'm kicking back and I'm playing my video games. And then once they come up, I'll hear the garage, I'll jump on my, on my paper, and act like I've been working the whole time. Now, your kids might be more responsible than I was, but I doubt it. Huh? Yes. What are you teaching? And let's just forget if you even have kids. What about you? What's more pleasurable? Do you think that this is just about coming and hearing me speak? If you do, then you've got it completely twisted. This is about Christ and valuing Christ This is about being involved in a family that he has called you to and valuing that family more than any other family on this earth because it is that family that you better get used to because you'll spend eternity with them. You don't like them now. You better get used to it because you're going to be seeing a whole lot of them. Unless they're really wolves in sheep's clothing. Well, that's another whole story. Jesus said in Matthew 13, 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. That man was willing to give up all that he had in order to purchase a treasure that was hidden in a field. What is that treasure? Christ. Christ. I sell. He sells all that he has so that he can gain Christ. Do you get that? He gets, gets, he gets rid of all that he has so that he can gain Christ. Nothing is more valuable. Nothing is more pleasurable. Nothing is worth his time more than spending all that he has to gain Christ. What about you? Do you value Christ that way? Are you willing to give up all that you own for Christ and to follow Him? And some of you say, I ain't got much, so yeah. That won't be a problem. What if ISIS came? They're allowing, they're hearing, I heard Governor Brown is wanting to allow the the refugees to to come into California. He's going to work with President Obama to try to get all those refugees a place here in California. And what better place to come than Bakersfield, right? (laughs) What if ISIS came? And they took your house kicking your door they had their thing they're wearing on their head they had their guns kicking their door kicking your door which is now their door everyone's out all the stuff in here is now mine i'm not going to kill you you just got to go you can stay if you deny christ but if you acknowledge christ you're out of this home and now you're homeless now you escape with your life but they got all your stuff Which would you choose? Your home, security, the cars, the valuables, the the things that have been passed on from generation to generation. Or would you forfeit all of those things? And and don't think, well, I'll just go stay with mom. I'll be okay. No, you have no place to stay. Okay? Don't try to work out the scenario to where it works in your favor. There's no place for you to go. Yeah. (laughs) Now you're homeless. And now you are valueless, but you are not Christless. What would you do? This is a question that we must ask ourselves and a question we must be honest with ourselves about. There was a rich young man who came to Christ believing that he would be justified by all the good things that he apparently thought he was doing in his life. And he said to Jesus, good teacher, uh, Mark chapter 10 What must I do to inherit eternal life? He thought that he was doing enough. He thought that he was going to be justified by Jesus. And Jesus was going to say, you're doing it all right. Keep doing what you're doing. But Jesus looked into this young man's heart and said to him, go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And then you will have eternal life. Bible says in verse 22, disheartened. My dad used to like to say this young man's face fell. He went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. They brought him so much pleasure that he couldn't see beyond them. He could not see the holiday at the sea because his eyes were too blinded by the mud pies he had been making in the sand. Meaning, there was no greater value that he could see, even when the greatest value was standing right in front of him. Christ and Christ alone last comfort and security is in your home. We return back to the passage in Luke chapter 14, verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Finally, what else is in your house? You can think of a lot of things. But the thing that I thought in these three points, the last thing that is in your house is you. You must be willing to lay down your life. For the sake of Christ. You are no longer living for you. Matter of fact, Your life is no longer your own. You are living for God and for the glory of God in Christ Jesus. Turn to Romans Romans chapter 6, verse 1. I'm going to read to you some passages as we close. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Listen to this. By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For we have, we have been united with him in death like this, like his, or like Uh, And united in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Listen, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For no for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ we believe we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For death for the death he died he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6:19 You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Philippians 3.7, but whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worthy of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them, listen, as rubbish, rubbish, trash, nothing in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Listen, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that I may by any means possibly possible attain the resurrection from the dead. This is what it means to lose your life. This is what it means to lose you, that you give up all that you think you you love and all that you think that you desire for Christ even you, your dreams, your pursuits, your, your hopes, your aspirations, Paul said, all of those things are worthless. Everything that I've achieved up until now is worthless. All I want is Christ. And I, I want to be so intimately close to Him that I want to experience the, the death that He experienced so that I too can experience a resurrection like He experienced. Is your life lived in that way? Do you talk to people in that way? Do you share the gospel with people with such an urgency that you know that your time is is but a vapor? And that it's here today and gone tomorrow. I asked my younger brother as we were driving home the other day. What would you want people to say about you at your funeral? And then, what will people say about you as of this moment right now? What about you? Because this is all over at any moment. And when it's over, there is no sequel. There is no back to the future where you can go back and fix things. You're not Marty McFly and you're not Doc Brown. When this is over, it's over. What is the value in all these things then? If it seems like this is all that we give up. The value is this. That you have a new home. The reason why you give up family, friends, valuables, pleasures, comfort and safety is because you got a new home. A better home. With two brothers and sisters Values that are beyond anything this world could ever show you or give to you. Found in Christ. And better believe that when you stand before Him, living a life that has glorified Him, He then gives you a crown of glory. And He gives you he gives you rewards on top of that. Things that go beyond a car, a house, any kind of jewel. Can you imagine rewards that God gives in heaven? Can you imagine what they would be? It's not going to be an Xbox One. It's not going to be a, a, a shiny new, whatever you like, that shiny and new. Huh? Can you imagine a gift from God in heaven when he sees you and says, well done, here you go. Huh. And is there anything in this world that can give you more pleasure than even hearing the words of your master Say justified and well done, good and faithful servant. That's all I need. Everything else is just cherries, sprinkles, and chocolate chips, marshmallows, and all those goody goodies that I like. But beyond that, you're giving up this world for his kingdom. I would say that's a good exchange. I would say then, when you put it that way, there is no cost. There is only reward. Communicate that to people when you're sharing the gospel with them. Let them know that there is much more to gain than they think they may be losing. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for the value and for the great treasure that is in you, our Lord. Help us to see just how great and valuable you are. For the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen.